Hello, donks. Let's fix that a little bit because you know I never do things ahead of time because that would be professional and I'm not that guy. Uh, today is what day is it today? It's the first of April, is it not? The worst day on the internet. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. I believe, could be wrong about this, but roughly episode 132. Today on the live chat, what a treat we have for you today. We'll talk about Aldo and McGregor, the world tour wrapping up, and just the insanity that happened last time with uh, McGregor taking the belt. Woo, crazy. We'll talk about uh, all of that, not just that day, but the entire tour generally. Um, I'm in Washington, D.C., as you know, uh, not in the city, but just uh, across the river there, across the bridge, is um, going to be UFC Fight Night 63. Mendez versus Lamas that'll take place at the Patriot Center. I'm going to be in attendance there if you see me, say hi, or don't, it's up to your choice, but if you do, I promise I'll be nice. Um, we'll talk about that event to the extent that you want to, but there's very, very little buzz for that, which is kind of sad because it's kind of a good card, but be that as it may. So we'll get into that. Uh, Bellator and Rampage will meet in court tomorrow. I don't know if Rampage will be there. I don't know if his attorneys will be there for him while well, he is there in absentia, but... Uh, Whatever the case may be, we'll talk about that as well to the extent that I understand the legal issues, which is not as a lawyer, but maybe enough to relate the basics and the essence to you. Um, I have a new article up about that. So a lot to get to, a lot to get to. Best way to do that, of course, <clears throat> is on MMAfighting.com where this window is embedded. You can get to the comments section there. Anything that turns green gets priority. And today, the drink of choice, Diet Coke, and I say choice because it's the only one they had in the fridge. I normally don't like this at all, um, but there you go. When you hear that sound, you know what that means. Get out there. Give this a thumbs up. My knuckles are all beat up. My gums are beat to hell. See that? I got kicked in the face last night. Um, <laughs> not kicked in the face. Healed in the face, maybe, on an arm bar. Anyway, um, so... On social media, get out there on Twitter, on Facebook, on whatever, and let folks know you're watching. That would be super uh, uh, appreciated by your boy here, Mr. LT. Okay? Give it a thumbs up and share this video. That'd be awesome. Mmm. Terrible, terrible Diet Coke. What a disgusting drink. Now, Coke Zero, on the other hand. That's my, that's my jam. All right, first question. Off the record and on the record, how do you handle the off and on the record issue? Do you guys talk about it before the interview or? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. What I normally do is, uh, well, first of all, I'll have it in my mind about what kind of conversations I want to have. If it's for an interview that I intend to publish, then I then what you, what you do is when you when you call the media source or uh, the media source the uh, interview subject, you explain all this up front. This is what I intend to. This is what I'm writing a story on. This is why I'm contacting you. Are you okay with this? If they say yes, it's good. I always tell folks, and I always record my conversations unless they oppose it, but they usually almost never do. Um, I record everything, but I don't just record it and not tell them. I always say. Is it okay if I record you? I don't, and if I intend to publish the recording, I'll tell them. If I don't, then I'll tell them I do not intend to publish this, nor will I publish this, but I'm gonna use it for my own purposes in case I wanna go back and listen to what you said and make sure I get your wording right. Things like that, or review the essence of your argument. And I always explain things right up front. It will happen on time to time that in the middle of a 
on-the-record conversation, they will want to go off the record. And I ask them to do that in ways that we specify when and when that starts and when that ends. But it's not really that. If, you, if you're upfront about everything, sometimes you will lessen the chance of getting a comment. And that's unfortunate. However, if you're upfront with everything, then you rarely get in trouble. Um, for on the record, off the record stuff, I've never had an issue in my career. I know some other guys have. I will say sometimes these fighters say things that they then regret because they don't realize if they were on the record. And I've even seen it happen or I was there when they were told it was on the record. So it's not even necessarily the fault of the journalist. Sometimes these guys just don't pay attention or maybe understand exactly what that means. Um, but the more savvy guys get it, the guys who've been around longer get it. It's really not difficult if you're just direct and forward and clear about the terms of the conversation and how you how you intend to use it. That's it. All right. Uh, same dude has like 78 questions. So I'll answer one more of his or hers, whoever this may be. Um, complaints. Have you ever had fighters, trainers, or promoters complain about an article and how do you deal with it? I would say that is not routine, but hardly uh, uncommon. If, again, if you do everything by the book like you're supposed to, and you have multiple people read it, and you have multiple editors weigh in on the content to make sure you're not doing anything inappropriate, that you've well-researched, that it's properly sourced, the complaints tend to fall on deaf ears. I'd say and just leave it at that. If you don't do those things, however, well, then you get some issues. And no one's perfect. Uh, certainly, I've been a part of articles that needed more vetting, but it hasn't been, it's been a long time. Conor McGregor, are you finding his antics repetitive and boring yet? Uh, repetitive and boring. Certainly repetitive. I don't know that I would use the word boring. Um, how do I feel about them? I find his antics to be uh, annoying, to be quite frankly, uh, quite frank. But I don't in any way intend to say that as a, uh, I'm not telling you that's how you should think. Nor am I saying that is relevant at all to what the larger market says about him. The larger market says that they're at a minimum polarized about him and more likely that while somewhat polarized, that they really get a kick out of what he's doing, that it somehow generates attention. And so um, if you're asking me personally on what I find it, I don't enjoy them, but I am not so foolish and myopic to say that that is relevant in any greater context or that what I am saying is more largely representative of how the public is, is feeling. Uh, I am very much, there are sometimes I get on here and I say things that I try to argue a case that I may feel this way, but I believe the facts independently support that. I could be wrong, I could be right, but I at least try to make that argument. I am not even trying to make that argument here. I am merely telling you I do not find it personally satisfying, and I also find my lack of personal satisfaction utterly irrelevant to the larger context of what's happening here. Uh, is Aldo rattled? As this world tour has progressed, Aldo seems to have become more and more irritated by McGregor. Well, how couldn't you? Uh, do you think this is going to have a significant impact on the bout, and how do you see it going? I do not tend to think it's going to have an impact on the bout at all. Okay, here's the deal. What he is trying to do is he has been trying to show McGregor a poker face, that this is a routine thing that he has to go through. It's just my job. No, of course I don't like it, 
but it's just a matter of routine. And McGregor has, frankly, what I would say is the easier job. Because if your job is just to throw bombs over and over and over again, both verbally, um, getting in someone's face, taking the belt, touching the back of the neck, just, you know, these are small, irrelevant things in, in maybe a different context. But if your whole job is just to get reactions out of someone, you actually have the easier task. It's much harder to be the guy who shows no emotion. I mean, do we really think Fedor would, you know, I don't think he'd show even as much as Aldo did. He'd probably show even less, but everyone has their limits. They don't want to be touched, you know, by weird people. They don't want to, you know, uh, have things symbolically challenged about them in those kinds of ways. And by that, I mean the belt being taken and, you know, held up and things like that. So I, I you know, uh, McGregor actually has the easier job. Now it's harder in the sense that it's sometimes hard to do that effectively, you know, saying things that are charismatic. I'm the king of Dublin and blowing kisses to the Brazilian crowd. And, you know, so in that sense, he's the more charismatic of the two, but I just mean in the power play between them, Aldo's task is much more difficult showing a constant poker face all the time. And when someone takes your belt, I mean, they're basically forcing you to react, you know? Um, and so in that sense, Aldo is in a no win position. People were saying, well, they should have just walked off the stage and let McGregor keep the belt. I mean, that doesn't work at all. I thought what he said after the fact was probably the best thing he could have done, uh, which was, you know, that's as close as he's going to get or something like that. Um, but McGregor, man, the kid's got balls. There's just no two ways about it. That kid has incredible, I wouldn't call it courage exactly, but he is a, um, not that he doesn't have courage, but that's not what is that bring, being brought to light here. Um, he is uh, a fire starter. I don't know how else to put it exactly. He that, That's just sort of who he is, right? But the question is not that. The question is, is it getting in Jose Aldo's head? Will it affect his performance? What I would tell you is it's quite obvious that he's in his head, vice versa. Conor McGregor can't stop talking about Jose Aldo. And Jose Aldo, I don't think, has uh, that same level of obsessiveness, but he certainly has a penchant to talk about Conor McGregor. And why wouldn't that be the case? Conor McGregor is obsessed with becoming the champion, literally obsessed. Maybe even in an unhealthy way, but that's the way the game works, right? I mean, maybe you have to be unhealthily obsessed to achieve those kinds of heights, right? So let's just assume that's the case. Why wouldn't Jose Aldo be in his head? He must be thinking about him all the time. Now, the question is, is he thinking about him in a way that will inhibit his performance or raise it to new heights? I would submit to you that the way in which, for better, you know, maybe he's wrong in the end, maybe he's right in the end. But Conor McGregor is thinking about Jose Aldo in a way that will, at least at the beginning, if not at the end, certainly at the beginning, raise his level of performance. He is obsessed with beating Jose Aldo. He is obsessed with proving himself right. He is obsessed with getting that title. That's just a fact. On the, on the other hand, Jose Aldo, having been champion as long as he is, and being with the personality that he is, he is more demure. He is more settled. He is more comfortable and sort of... Um, pacified in a role as long-standing champion. But certainly he's thinking about McGregor, and I absolutely think he's taking him seriously. And I don't think a guy this accomplished this far into his career who has seen this many looks against this many different kinds of fighters in that many title fights for this long a run 
is going to have his performance shaken by someone who does the things he does. In fact, I've been warning you all about this. What that will do is not inhibit him. It will raise his level. This is the point I made at the MMA beat two weeks ago. Both of the guys are either doing the things or essentially are the things that the other guy needs to raise the level mutually of both fighters. So when you ask, is one guy in the other guy's head? Sure, of course. That is irrelevant to, or I shouldn't say irrelevant. I don't think in any way that will diminish anyone's performance. This is not like Carla Esparza who was making her UFC debut in front of an actual crowd beyond the Palms or a small venue or, you know, was fighting in a relatively shallow division. This is the best featherweight of all time. If you think that guy gets rattled easily, I, I'm not sure what to tell you. What he might get rattled easily by is if, and I do believe this, I believe Conor McGregor is going to hurt him at some point in that fight. Whether he finishes him or wins, I don't know. But he certainly think I think he's going to get his licks in. And I think that's going to wake Jose Aldo up a little bit. But this is a guy who rises to greatness, not crumbles. You know, same with Conor McGregor of today. Jose Aldo's going to hurt him. There's no two ways about it. He's going to hurt him. And so the question is, what happens then? But going into the fight, you better believe that both guys are ready to go to battle. Battles in ways that they've never gone before. Aldo, because he wants to prove his supremacy and make McGregor pay. Uh, but he doesn't ever lose his way, I don't think. I think he wants to do it in a way that is still relatively calculated. And McGregor in a way to prove everyone that he, what's what he's saying in his mind is the greater reality. And to do that, he has to beat Aldo or at least give Aldo the fight of his life or something like that. Right. So this idea that like this tour is just, you know, because look, McGregor is better as a showman. Aldo is not. Aldo was never going to win the tour in terms of the public perception on those grounds. It was never, ever going to happen. This was always a tour, I won't say designed to for uh, Conor McGregor, but certainly that feeds it to his natural strengths. And that's just that's just the way it goes. I mean, you're doing PR. Who's better at PR? Who's better in front of the camera? Like McGregor was always going to shine. But if you are using that to then say, well, this is going to affect his performance in a negative way, I think you are deeply, deeply, deeply mistaken. All right. Let's see. Moving on. Verdun. Are we fight fans taking the challenge that Verdun poses to Kane too lightly? Verdum has only lost once in the last six years, and that was to a testosterone-fueled Overeem. And that fight sucked, too. Any guy who could take out Fedor and Hunt and completely take apart Brown should be getting more respect, shouldn't he? And that that's not even taking into account Kane's injuries. You know what, man? I, before, maybe I would have dismissed this question. I've always said MMA is crazy, and crazy things can happen, but that outside of craziness, I don't expect Verdum to have much of a chance. I will say... After what happened with Pettis and after what happened with, I don't know, it's probably been somebody else I overlooked recently. And I'll overlook people in the future, too. We all will. But, um, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go and listen. Does Kane deserve to be the favorite? It's hard to say how he doesn't deserve to be the favorite. There's just too many things in his style that make him hard to overlook. I think he's got I mean, just the, the speed he operates with, the offensive output he operates with, um, the takedowns. He may not finish and try to go for a pass. But he might be more than willing to make uh, Verdum get up and down again, up and down again, up and down again. He's going to be coming in and out of range. And so Verdum has a tendency, I won't say to defensively shell like this, like some guys do, 
but he does have a tendency to let offensive fighters um, carry the weight of the fight, and then he can sometimes respond later on. Uh, and I think against Velasquez, that's probably a mistake. But to your point, listen, Verdum is nasty at range in ways that he didn't used to be. Verdum is awesome uh, in the clinch. Obviously, his guard is tremendous. You know, I mean, you don't really want to get in his guard unless you really absolutely have to. Uh, you know, black belt world champions guard, good luck with that. You're going to need it. So, so, so to your point, look, I'm going to have a hard time arguing that Verdum should be the favorite. But I think the general sentiment here is after what we've seen with various champions and not even champions, just other fighters we had a certain impression of, Verdum's been competing. He's been active. He's been slowly getting better. Velasquez has been on the shelf for a while. He's been injured. Um, and even then, maybe just Verdum would have handled himself in ways that we didn't expect, irrespective of Kane's injuries. So I certainly think uh, I will be much more open-minded about possibilities there while still expecting Velasquez to win. Cursing from fans at press conferences. What do you think about all the cursing like uh, bitch and uh, I can't read all these, but other words from fans? Don't the fighters deserve more respect? I mean, Dana White would probably get mad if someone did that to him. Well, he got mad when a reporter just asked him a basic question, but so he obviously would get would get more. Here's what I would say. Right. We talked about this last week. You can have a great idea. You can have the only idea that works. You can have a must-follow path that you have to take. The best case, some ways the only case scenario. And even if you take that, it doesn't mean it doesn't come without certain costs. Um, I would say that this world tour, you know, I give it an A minus, maybe even an A plus. I mean, it's pretty spectacular in what it did, right? But as good as it may have been, and as fun as it may have been, and as worthwhile as it may have been, were there bad parts about it? Yes. Frankly, I think that champions being subjected to these kinds of taunts and uh, insults from fans, either in Brazil or in Ireland or anywhere else, uh, is a little bit ridiculous and you know, kind of unfair to them. They should not be paraded in front of uh, hecklers. That just seems to me sort of absurd. Um, now, I'm not saying the UFC could not have better anticipated that, but I'll dial it back a little bit and just say, certainly in Ireland and, and Brazil, they knew what to expect. So in that sense, I don't forgive them. What I would say is the following. If they're gonna do another world tour, and it may be a while before they ever do one again, because these are expensive. And remember, this was a world tour because there were so many different stakeholders involved, Irish media, the Brazilian media and, and, and country, um, the United States and Canada because it's a pay-per-view. There's so many different pieces of the puzzle that had to be addressed. So it may be a while before they do one again. If they do one again, they absolutely need to do something about crowd control. And this is not just for the world tour, maybe even, but these fan Q&As. Man, I'm telling you, like I said it before, fan Q&As have turned into like what Twitter would be if Twitter didn't exist. In other words, hey, here's a celebrity and everyone gets the chance to go and say horrible things to them. You know, why would a fighter want to go do that? Maybe if they want to like spar with them, okay, fine. Maybe they feel like even after that, it's still in their interest, fine. But maybe they don't, you know. And maybe I'm sure many decline. But uh, I, I would, I would prefer to, uh, 
I would prefer to see guys like Jose Aldo not be subjected to that if possible. If Connor wants to do it, well, that's just the way it go. it's just going to go because that's your opponent and he's a loose cannon and loose cannon sell. But, um, yeah, I, I I wasn't a big fan of that either. It it I you know, you would never see somebody in boxing subject themselves to that. In fact, it sort of reminded me of a bad boxing presser. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. I think the World Tour was a success. I'm not saying otherwise. But if you go to some of these boxing pressers, they let in media and then the fighter's entourage is there. So a lot of times you watch these press conferences. This happens in MMA too, but it's much more pronounced in boxing where a fighter will say something. Let's say he gets robbed and he goes out and he curses out the judges and says something and you'll hear a crowd cheering, you know. That's his entourage in the back. I saw Lamont Peterson fight Amir Khan at the convention center here in D.C. Khan has this group of guys. I don't even know if they still follow him, but at the time they did called Khan's Army. And it was a bunch of guys from, uh, I think, of similar ethnic backgrounds, but maybe even not that, who were just big fans of Amir Khan. They would go everywhere and constantly chant and scream for him. It was like his own Bara Brava or something. And um, they went to the presser after he lost to Peterson, which was very controversial. And they screamed and shouted the entire way anytime from Lamont Peterson's camp wanted to make a point. And it was so disruptive and so annoying and so disrespectful. It drove me nuts. But um, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm old. Uh, Masvidal versus Aya Quinta. Seems like everybody is sleeping on this fight. How do you see it going and what are the implications for the winner? I see Masvidal uh, losing early and staging a late comeback. Or, I didn't say comeback to win, but just come back, coming back late. I think Masvidal's a bit of a slow starter. I think Masvidal is a guy who has a certain plan, but his best plan is that he makes adjustments off of your offense and then retools his offense accordingly. I think that's what's kept him out of the top because I don't know that's the best idea, but if that's who you are, then that's who you are. And so what I think is he's going to he's going to get tagged by some of the punching power of Iaquinta and have to find a way to rally around that. I think he's got great takedowns. I think his jiu-jitsu is phenomenal. I like his passing. I think his back control, you don't see much of it, but there's pieces of it there to look at. He's got great submissions, obviously. So um, he's got a good guard if he needs it. He has, I think, a better I, – I was it better. He has a more well-rounded game, but I don't think he's nearly the power puncher that he is. So to me, I look for Iaquinta to take a strong first, maybe even second round, unless Masvidal has a much more proactive approach, which I'm not sure that he does. I'm, I'm going to see him tomorrow at the open workouts. I certainly intend to ask him about it. So that is my general sense about things. You know, individual punching combinations and kicking combinations, I don't know. We'll have to see how that plays out. I, I'm usually really hesitant to, to talk about some of those things in the, ahead of the fight. Because uh, a guy like Iquint is putting his skills together pretty rapidly. Masvidal tends to react to people. So I'm not really going to go into those kinds of specificities, but I will after the fight for sure. By asking about uh, Ronda Rousey, you, you, you know you're just trolling, and you know I'm not going to answer it. So I don't know why you're doing that. Uh, okay, Bellator 131, it's 135. 
versus World Series of Fighting 19. Two fun cards from this past weekend. Who is the fighter of the weekend? The fighter of the weekend is... Most of you are probably going to say Justin Gaethje. I would say L.C. Davis. Only because, like, what, what it reminded me of was the old debate about, like, oh, was Stan Silva fight of the year? Stan Silva was one of the crazy fun fights of the year, if not the funnest fight of the year. But that subdomain of funnest fight of the year is maybe could be fight of the year but fight of the year is many more things than just being fun and so to me it's i have a hard time i have a hard time uh, calling it the fight of the year but i would say i watched it live and it was just nuts and i couldn't believe palomino didn't drop him after all those shots he took um so I would say L.C. Davis just because he fought a much more I – mean, he fought an opponent using, you know, much more than just a pocket presence um, who was trying different dimensions of the game to put him away. So, so yeah, maybe L.C. Davis. Uh, okay. What does the most pay-per-view buys from least to most with these hypothetically UFC main co-mains and why? Wait, what? Oh, what does the most pay-per-view buys from least to most with these? Okay. Um, Lesnar versus Mir or GSP Silva? Probably GSP Silva. Habib McGregor? With McGregor uh, being the champ and Habib being the champ? Or Rousey Cyborg? Ooh, that's a tough one. Maybe Rousey Cyborg? Kane versus Jones? Or Lawler versus Andre Berto? Kane versus Jones. Chris Weidman versus Tyrone Spong. That's a short fight, folks. Or Phil Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk, versus Jason Frank, the Green Power Ranger. Uh, okay, there you go. Oh, people ask you about some more Valiev's performance. Man, that guy is ridiculous. You didn't see this kid in World Series of Fighting. One of these other Dagestani kids that's amazing. Amazing. First of all, brutally quick. Uh, uh, bantamweight. Be I mean, just beat Ed West into, into a pulp on that fight on Saturday. So that was kind of amazing. Um, has a rocket rear uppercut, which he uses really, really effectively, both straight on at an angle, which I liked. Um, great transition in, into the penetration step off of the strikes. Uh, strong. Um, can do it all. Good, good, good balance on top for to finish good, good uh, finishing instincts. Uh, just the kid has it all. Uh, I mean, the problem is he's a little off balance when he strikes because he's looking for home runs all the time. These Dagestani guys, their striking is really good and really powerful and really quick, what I've noticed. But it seems to be a conduit in a ways that sets up other portions of the game. They don't mind going back to it necessarily. I don't mean it's one of those things where like once they get you down, they're just going to hold you down for your life. It's not that exactly. They're happy to go back to it. But they never seem to want to strike for a full round. Um, it's very much sub, it's it's potent and it's real and it's enough to put you away. But it also at its heart seems very supplemental to the larger game rather than a signature calling card. I mean, I don't want to overly generalize because you know some guys can do that. But um, obviously, even from Dagestan, Dagestan. But um, that seems to be a at this stage of the development, a bit of a, a, a common theme.
As the McGregor Aldo Rocho garnered more media than Mayweather Pacquiao, are you high? <laughs> are you high? Please, please be serious. That's not even worth answering. I, are you understanding how big Mayweather Pacquiao is? Last only thing I'll say on this. If you see another fight that big in your lifetime, and I don't care if you're 18 and you're watching this, I'm I might be a little bit surprised. I might be a little bit surprised. Gents, ladies. We are talking about people are like, oh, these guys are old. Well, they're also kind of number one, number two, pound for pound. So, so funny to me. Everyone's like, well, these two guys are old and washed up. Well, really? Because the rest of the division can't beat them. I mean, Marquez beat Pacquiao the last time, but he was losing and he's lost previously. This is the most ridiculous argument. Yes, these guys are older than what they were. This is not their best and their primes for either guy. But this idea that, like, you know, there's these, this, this, this row of fighters ahead of them. Hell, even at light welterweight, much less welterweight, that you put on there. What you're talking about is two of the best fighters ever, the two best fighters of this generation, um, the two biggest promotional entities in combat sports getting together uh, to decide who is the best fighter of this generation. You, Aldo McGregor it will do 10% of that if they're lucky. If they're lucky, they'll do 10% of that. Okay, that's that's what we're talking about here. 10% and I would consider that to be a success. All right. Lightweight bout... I mean, half a billion dollars in commerce they're going to do? Half a billion? Um, okay, hypothetical matchups. Aldo versus Benson. I would favor the speed of Aldo. Rockhold versus Lawler. I think Rockhold is just too big, too technical. Heavyweight bout. Brown versus Gustafson. Brown. Uh, Brown. Middleweight bout. Romero versus Maya. That's a good one. I'd say Romero. Uh, bantamweight bout. Lineker versus Michael McDonald. That's an interesting one. Um, hmm. Because McDonald can crack too, and he's more well-rounded. I don't know. That's a fun one. That's a really good – that's an interesting one. One thing, please discuss Gaethje versus Palomino and Tokoro versus Davis. Um yeah, let me just say this. You can go and watch the fights. You can see for themselves. They're very, two very different fights. One thing I would say is just from a global perspective, you can see how deep these lighter weight classes are, 155, maybe to 170, but certainly 155 and down globally. Like UFC has the best talent in all the weight classes, but the level is so high even when they don't have all – even when uh, other organizations like Bellator or World Series of Fighting don't have the very, very best, but they've got some really good ones you're still able to see just what I would call the common standard of excellence. You're able to see that, right? So it's really impressive in that regard. The second thing I would say is the two very different kinds of fight. Tokoro versus Davis is a back and forth, largely technical affair. I mean, those guys certainly took risks. 
and it was back and forth and, and a pitched battle in that sense. But that was a really positional, transition-heavy kind of thing. Gaethje versus Palomino was just a slugfest. That, I mean, that's an old-fashioned slugfest. Now, same thing goes. While Tokoro Davis was much more technical and involved a certain amount of brawling in it, the opposite is true. While there was mostly brawling in Gaethje versus Palomino, there was also some technical things about it. I really sort of thought that the way in which uh, Gaethje was using the clinch for uh, low kicks was really impressive. I'd seen it before, but just not – I mean, go back and watch the, how he invests in those low kicks. I think a little bit in the first round, certainly in the second. When you have someone in the clinch like that, um, you don't have quite the wind-up on your strikes, but you can get a lot into them, especially for leg kicks. And what's really kind of interesting is that depending on how you use it, you know, if someone if you kick someone's leg and it's raised, it still hurts. If they've planted their weight and you kick them, I mean, they just absorb everything. So what you can do with the clinch is you can pull them into the leg that you want to kick, and then you can drive into it at the same time. So you can make them carry your weight, plant their weight that you're that you're you know you're not only just giving them your weight, you're making them carry it on the very leg that you're then driving your shin bone into. It's pretty pretty. Uh, it's pretty cool to witness. That's not maybe that's not the best way to leg kick because you know you're open to a lot of other things, including uppercuts and you know uppercut hook kind of combinations. But um, yeah, it was really it was kind of impressive that he had done that in the way that he did. It says, how sad is it to see a champion being treated in that way? And if you were in Dana's position, what would you like to do differently with regards to the whole promotion of the World Tour? The touching, the belt snatching, the swearing. I mean, look, you have to establish order because no champion wants to go and be disrespected, right? So everyone's like, oh, it was awesome. This guy says it was flawless. For the fan, for the fan, it might be flawless. It wasn't flawless for Aldo at all. You know, it wasn't flawless for you. And I'm sure UFC doesn't want Aldo to be mad at them in this kind of way, you know. Um, they got to find a better way to guarantee um, safety is not the right word, but, you know, the integrity of somebody's space. But, you know, look, guys like McGregor, the reason why it works is because guys like McGregor break rules. You know, guys like McGregor just don't believe that those boundaries need to be respected, that you have to disrespect this person and their and whatever their boundaries are to send signals or to indicate your seriousness or whatever the case may be, and which is exactly what he did. I think, I don't know, I might reconsider some of the ways in which I would do a venue for how we book people because I do think it's really very weird having people go up there and having the other person's fan base just like it's like you don't even see murderers who have been convicted hear these kinds of things from families at trials you ever seen this like if you get convicted of murder here in the states there's some states where um, the family can go and address you even a the family they read a prepared statement and they might say things like you, know, you deserve to be in prison but they don't go and you know I mean, I heard worse things that the, from fans at this these pressers than I heard from grieving families who've lost murdered loved ones. So you know that to me seems a little bit tawdry, if I'm being honest. Uh, but um, certainly those you know on the other side of things, those atmospheres were insane. Um, and McGregor fed off of it, and to an extent, Aldo fed off of it too. And. Uh, um, it will work for promotional purposes this time, but if I was a champion, I would be like, so I have to go and put up with this? I mean, maybe if they put, maybe, listen, maybe if they make the money right, then who cares, you know? Um, but maybe you do it to like fight club members, or maybe you hold it in a smaller venue so it doesn't get too, too out of hand. 
Maybe you screen the questions ahead of time. Because I think a little taunting is okay. Um, and a little bit of, you know, um, hey, are you going to get his belt ready? That's all that. All that's fine. You know, what you're calling him things that you would call someone your, you know, your worst enemy. Well, then it goes a little too far as I'm concerned. If Bellator World Series of Fighting and 1FC merged into one organization for Spike, how well do you think they would do versus the UFC and pay-per-view buys popularity with names like Kimbo, Askren? Uh, would they be a closer number two than what Strikeforce was? No. Strikeforce was way ahead in any kind of ways. Much, much greater depth. Moreover, 1FC has a couple of good guys on there that would be beneficial for Spike's purposes, but 1FC is truly uh, a Southeast Asian promotion. It's really what it is. Um, you know, they have guys that mean nothing to Spike and nothing to you and me that are really valuable for them. They have direct relationships with the various countries and promoters there. They have direct relationships with camps that are there that are big for those countries but don't mean much to us. And so in that sense, it's not that 1FC is not valuable. They certainly seem to be or successful, whatever the case may be. No one is saying that. But what I would say is they're not really valuable to spike in that regard. They're much more valuable to partners in Asia. They're much more valuable to venues in Asia. They're much more valuable to camps and media and so forth. They're really sort of region specific, which isn't to say that, you know, World Series of Fighting isn't the exact same thing on the American side. But I would say that there's more guys, like if World Series of Fighting went out of business, 1FC, if they had an unlimited pocketbook, would sign a lot more guys. I'm not sure that's really the case with 1FC. If they happen to go out of business, would 1FC or Spike pick up a huge amount of their roster? I don't believe that they would. They'd pick up a couple. Certainly, Askren would be a hot commodity uh, and maybe a couple of others. But it's not their, – their abilities are great and their success is real. But it, as it stands today, it's very much tied to a specific, if large, part of the world. Aldo McGregor buy rate. Look, what do you see the UFC 189 card pulling numbers wise? Jones Cormier did a report at 800,000 after the stare down fight. The last card to do over a million was Weidman Silva 2 with Rousey Tate as the co main. I've got it above 500,000, but below 800,000. Does that seem fair? Um, that does seem fair. We're, we're in uncharted territory, folks. We're in uncharted territory because we're at a place where we're about to find out for now what the upper bound limit is for featherweight pay-per-view buy rates in 2015 anyway, right? We're going to find out what is a, and you can always imagine a more best case scenario, but I mean, in realistic terms, this is the biggest featherweight fight ever, certainly commercially, right? We can all pretty much agree to that, right? So we're going to find out in real terms what that upper bound looks like. I suspect it will do, you know, more than 400,000, uh, more than 500,000. Beyond that, I don't know. I, I agree that I don't think it'll do more than Jones versus DC. Um, but I don't know. I really don't know. I just don't know. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. But I think, you're, I think that's what we're going to find out here. This is very much a fact-finding mission. What does the upper bound standard, and standards are meant to be broken, of course, but what is the upper bound standard for featherweight pay-per-view uh, look like? This fight will tell us. 
I have something in my eye, player. I can't see at all. How long does Cohea last against Rousey? Uh, as long as Rousey wants her to last. Also, who do you got in the Shogun Little Nog rematch? Probably Shogun, but who knows with those two, man. After seeing numerous press conferences all over the globe, including nine or ten embedded episodes, has your opinion of the outcome of Aldo McGregor changed in any way? No. And here's my question. Why would it? Why would it? This is what promotional hype does, right? It gets you to think about these guys in different ways. It makes you clue in on something. Uh, Nurmagomedov, who apparently has great accuracy in fight prediction, he believes that Connor's going to win. I don't in any way think that's an outrageous thing to say. I really don't. I think that Connor's deeply underrated. Now, I still wonder how he's going to do against somebody who just chooses not to strike with him. But Aldo's going to choose to strike with him. That's what's going to happen. And the only thing that I would say that the World Tour did, but not even really, but maybe did it for me, was the size differential. Connor is huge. He's a huge featherweight. He's much bigger than Aldo. I don't think he's nearly as fast as Aldo, but I believe his timing is really good. And I believe some of his unorthodox striking will catch Aldo eventually. What I believe Aldo has the advantage is he's much more credentialed, certainly, but that aside, his speed. To me, this is a real speed versus power game between the two. Obviously, it's much more complicated and nuanced than that, but I mean from a macro perspective, that's sort of really what I'm looking at here. And the question you have to answer is if you buy that, maybe, maybe you don't even buy that, but I think that that's a general way. Most folks would say Aldo's probably much quicker but that McGregor can hit a lot harder, uh, among other traits that they both have. So you have to ask yourself, who wins out there? I don't in any way think that if someone's like, look, here's my case for McGregor, and they sort of laid out the different ways in which he moves and corners opposition, and I do think that he will corner Aldo, um, and the way in which he sort of falls up a hurt opposition and, and the, the smoothness and the precision of his striking, um, the stance that he stands in and whether or not the low kicks will be effective, all, all these things, right? Um, I, I would never laugh at you for that. I would never, ever say that this is crazy. I know some folks will be like, oh, my God, McGregor's just totally hyped. I mean, he has a ton of hype. There's no doubt about it. He's a ton of talent, too. He's a ton of talent, too. But watching him act the way in which he did, no, not at all. That doesn't affect my opinion at all. You want to see how he's going to perform? Look at their physical stature and then watch tape. That is your best indication of anything. Um. Just Aldo is so credentialed and so experienced. I think you're, a, not you, but proverbial you are foolish if you think he is going to crack under pressure. Uh, he may lose, but he may, this idea that he will just like crumble under this magnetizing, or I should say hypnotic power that McGregor has, uh, not physical, but mental, is, is uh, you know, not even worth taking seriously for two seconds. Aldo may very well lose, but he will lose because he lost technically or that he lost because the power differential is too great to overcome. Uh, he will not lose because he did a press tour that just made him upset. That, that I find that to be profoundly unlikely. Profoundly. All right, let's go to the Twitter machine here for just a bit. Is the video of the notorious MMA, that being Mr. Conor McGregor, stealing the belt the most commented on 
post on your site. It's up there. I think some of these old chats had more. I had one chat that had like 700 comments, but certainly it's up there. I mean, it's no doubt about it, man. Taking the guy's belt when I saw that, I was like, wow, this kid has, in a good way, <laughs> lost his mind, right? I mean, just the, 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 the gall, the gall that he has is, 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 is just beyond compare, you know? And that may infuriate you and that may make you fist pump and cheer. Either way, uh, galling is his behavior. Um, he's, he's, uh, he's, I, I don't even know what the word, I don't even know how to say anything else about it. It's just so brazen what he does, you know? So either he has sealed his demise by poking the bear or he has helped him reinforce his own mind enough um, to push himself to greatness. Certainly, you can tell he's a true believer, you know, in his own ability. It's crazy. It's crazy. I've never seen anything like it. It's so crazy. Someone says, it's not a game of speed versus power or any of that business. It's a game of competing realities, right, which is speed versus power. If you're a UFC champion, you, you should expect to be disrespected by your opposition. Yes, that's true. But not to be paraded in front of them for medieval era abuse, uh, short of being, you know, tomatoes being hurled at you. Connor and uh, Aldo and Silva Weidman resemblance. Seems like many pros are picking Connor over Aldo, much like Weidman over Silva. I don't know if that it's as many, but certainly there are some. Certainly there are some. There's no doubt about it. There are definitely guys out there. I think Weidman, in fact, also picked Connor. I know Habib did. I'm not sure of who else. I saw Sonnen picked um, Aldo. Um, I know of another famous fighter who I won't mention that picked Aldo. So I'll leave it at that. But um, so I, I, I partly agree with what you're saying. I partly agree that um, there is a little bit more open-ended. There's a little bit more uh, parity, right? There's some fighters picking Aldo and some picking McGregor. It's not heavily one way or the other, or at least heavily in the favor of the champ. Let me make a point about this. Fans like to paste on their sensibilities about what they like onto fighters, right? And it drives me crazy okay so for example what's the fans view of this world tour and i'm not here to bash the world tour i am here to tell you it's a success there's no doubt about it okay it was a good idea it was for the most part executed fantastically all of that stuff um, um but <laughs> this idea that, um, well, gee, fighter, you, I like it when something happens to you that really feeds my sensibilities. Therefore, it's a good thing. And therefore, you should like it, right? I like the fact that you have to go up there and be berated by some 12-year-old who's calling you a bitch because that's pleasing to me. So you should understand that because it's pleasing to me, it's in some general sense good for you. What a stupid, narcissistic thing to say, 
What a totally ridiculous thing to say. It's true some guys can handle that better than others. It might be the case that they're being compensated enough that um, they don't really care. It might also be the case that they say, God, I hate this, but I get it's necessary. It's sort of like a necessary evil, and that's fine. But it is such a ridiculously unthoughtful, narcissistic thing to be like, I liked it when you had to stand up there and have someone call you a bitch and question your courage and your and your uh, uh, manhood because it was pleasing to me. Me. It's all about me. I mean, it's insane. There are some things that you have to pay attention to when it comes to market realities. But simply doing the most craven things that fans like because it's outrageous at the at the expense of your, uh, uh, not in the total expense, but in some portion, the expense of your champion or other credential fighters is insanity. What a what a deeply unrealistic view of the world. What a way to to, to your disrespect for my amusement eventually makes money, and therefore it's all okay. Therefore, it is perfectly reasonable. This isn't. This, this is the talk of someone who who. Uh, how could you take such vicarious pleasure like that? A little bit of titillation is fine, and and we can argue about those limits. But you got to have some limits. You got to have some limits, you know. Uh, and this idea that like, well, the fans responded to it. Fans respond to all sorts of things. It doesn't make that okay. You need to understand market realities. You need to understand fan sentiment. You need to understand fans' consumption behavior. You also have a little bit of a duty to not make sure these guys have to go and parade themselves for humiliation. You, you kind of owe that a little bit, don't you? A little bit, maybe a small amount, small amount. This idea that like because it's really good that one person can be insulted, and maybe the other person doesn't care, but at least one person might not want to go do that. Well, they should just get over themselves. No, you should get over yourself. That's what you should do. You should realize that these are human beings and that maybe they don't want to do this. And maybe that all the arguments about, well, you got to go and promote yourself. Well, maybe I don't want to promote myself that way. Maybe that's just not in me. Maybe I'm just not that guy. And maybe I don't deserve cr uh, 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 nonsensical criticism from someone who has never ever put themselves in a position even remotely like that to go in and, and, then, do, and then follow through on these actions. Because, well... There's just this appetite for your humiliation. There's this appetite for watching you get uncomfortable by having people who want nothing more than your demise to be smiled at or have to rather to smile at you. It's just insane. It's just totally insane. So listen, the tour was a success. I'll state it now. I'll state it forever. But, but, but the idea is you this idea that there should not be limits on things, uh, that the UFC shouldn't think twice about how they might do a second world tour based on what happened here, you know, come on. You have to reevaluate what happened there. You have to say, maybe it went a little too far. Maybe they, you know, they didn't realize it was going to be like that at all, or, or maybe they did, and, and, and then after seeing it over and over again, you know, they can think twice about it. I, these are not dumb people at all over the organization. Uh, it's just it, I can't I can't understand it. All right, Brendan Chop dropping a two hundred five. How does that move go for Big Brown? I don't know. You know, um, first of all, I've seen him in person. He's a big guy. He's a really big guy. 
Now, he obviously has some weight to lose, and he can make it. Um, so, um, I have a hard time understanding how this is a benefit to him. Look, sometimes these weight class changes can be reinvigorating, and sometimes you can do things for yourself. Um, Kitty Florian, I think, had a little more success at featherweight than folks might remember, uh, even though that was hardly an ideal weight for him. Um, and other guys have changed weight classes and it does nothing. He is, for as much as light heavyweight is not what it used to be, it is certainly a thicker division than uh, heavyweight. So I don't know how he's going to get any easier fights if he progresses. Eventually he will run into some similar issues. But um, the question for me is how his speed translates. The question for me is how his power translates. He'll be a big, big, big light heavyweight. Not the biggest, of course, uh, in terms of at least dimension. But he'll be very, very big. Um, but I don't know. I thought he had a real speed and, and uh, you know, he was physically – he never got muscled around too much at, uh, at heavyweight. He may have been able – you know, he may have been hit and then muscled around. But, like, just strength for strength, it wasn't like he was out of his depth. You know, you never watched a Brendan Schaaf fight and be like, you know what, he just doesn't have the strength to compete in this division. He had other issues you would sort of point to. Um, so for me, to go from a thick, uh, you know, heavyweight's really thin, to go from that down uh, to a division that's much thicker, I mean, I mean, it depends how far back at the queue they start him. So I'm not saying he won't have success, but uh, ultimately I am very suspicious of the move if for no reason then, you know, you're going to, to tougher places. Is there any particular reason you didn't do Monday morning analyst this week? Yeah. So after I saw the lack of traffic for Bellator 135, and then I saw, I mean, there was just none for World Series of Fighting 19. Um, I Listen, the world, the, okay. I am trying to do with the Monday morning analyst, and it's a work in progress. I don't want it to just be this on Monday. It has to be different. And there's a number of ways you can make it different. But in the process that I'm in now, it is and it's a long story, but it's ultra laborious for me to do, which I don't mind doing even for a low-level UFC event, which is what Saturday is, right? I mean, if we count UFC 189 as the peak, this is pretty far down the totem pole, UFC 5.63. But um, uh, I don't mind doing it, but it would just get no traffic, <laughs> just just none, and the juice just ain't worth the squeeze until I can get a a better system in place to make that job easier. But for now, it's just too much. It's just too much work for too little results. Um, so it'll be back on Monday after UFC Fight Night 63, and I think Lamont Peterson is fighting Danny Garcia this weekend too. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, as much as it is cool for me to see um, um, Munchie from Marcelo Garcia's go against Gary Tonin at a community college, and it was a great match. But like you know. There's like 10 people who care about that, and I'm one of them, and my wife's the other one. So it's just it's just too much work for right now. But my hope is that I can get it to a place where it's the same amount of work that this one is, and I can just fire him out, you know. Uh, Pettis wants Diaz. I saw this. Pettis has stated he wants to fight Diaz next. Am I the only one who thinks this fight makes a lot of sense and has Fox written all over it? I could see UFC on Fox 16 in Chicago on July 27th looking something like this. Dos Santos versus Overeem, thumbs up. Pettis versus Diaz, thumbs up. Tate versus I, yes. And Henderson versus Johnson. Excuse me, yes. Uh, what do you think? 
first of all, they did that. I mean, who could hate on that card? It's a great card, right? Um, and it gives all the things that Fox wants. Fox seems to like those heavyweight main events. That's a really spectacular one. That's sort of guaranteed, it seems, at least at the outset, to give you a finish. You have some top contender fights going on there with both Tate and, and I, to a lesser extent, but maybe even the same with Henderson and Johnson. And then you have Pettis and Diaz. And I agree with you. The reason why I like the Pettis and Diaz fight, maybe you have a different reason for liking it. I don't know. But uh, – um, Diaz, both both Diaz's, they really only want to fight guys who are at a certain level, uh, who have accomplished a certain thing, who have um, who have made a certain amount of progress in their career, and who's to be somebody. You're talking about Pettis, who just got done being champion. So if Diaz, I, I wouldn't expect him to win. I wouldn't pick him to win. But if you're Diaz, uh, someone says Lion Fight last week was awesome. I'm sure it was. You know who, how many people watched Lion Fight? Not many. You guys, if it's here's something that someone once told me in talk radio. Ready? Uh, they said, with very little exception, if you don't talk about UFC only, no one's going to listen to your show. And not just that, not a random donk in UFC, basically the top 10 guys or the most popular top 10 guys. That's why I can spend a whole show talking about Aldo McGregor on my SiriusXM radio show because no one wants to talk about. Um, as awesome as it is, Marion Renault. And maybe the Monday morning analysis is a place where we should go over that. But until I get a better workflow in place, talking about Lion Fight is not a luxury that I have right now. Um, but anyway, to your point, for Diaz, you get a guy in Anthony Pettis who's right there, right there at the cusp, bang. Um, who you can say, look, I just beat the former champ. I mean, that puts me right back in line, right? I must. And for, I mean, maybe it doesn't, but at least you'd think that would be something that would be enticing to him. And for Pettis, you can say Diaz is the name. It's a fight that there's a lot of ways you can look at it and say this is one that's beneficial to my style. So there's lots of reasons to look at that fight for either guy and think, hey, okay. By the way, I love that card. Read it one more time. Dos Santos, I mean, it's not the real card, but a proposed one. Dos Santos versus Overeem, pff, awesome. Pettis, Diaz, Tate, I, and then Henderson versus Johnson. If someone from Fox is listening, my man, I'm hungry. Four, 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 four. Did a great job with that one. Can you give us your thoughts on random drug testing for Kembo versus Shamrock? I have not paid attention to that fight at all, <laughs> at all. And I saw that they gave. Oh my God, they gave a Karakani in the fight against Pitbull. Is this not Daniel Weishel's fight? I mean, I get that Karakanian's a better fight to sell, and I'm not saying it's a terrible fight. It's a good fight, but oh, man, poor Daniel Weichel. It's getting passed over. Dude, with that fight he put against Koran was awesome. <clears throat> I feel bad for him. <coughs> <coughs> ah. Mm. Here you go. <coughs> Here's me choking on my podcast. Eyes watered and everything. All right. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus. This is inopportunely timed. All right. Chael Rumble Conspiracy Jinx. <clears throat> Chael stated recently that the Jones and Rumble fight, quote, won't happen, mark my words. I saw that. What do you personally make of this? Is Chael playing our minds here? Uh, he might be. Or maybe he knows something about the two that we don't. 
Maybe he's alleging to some kind of drug use that we don't know about that he does. I don't know. Here's what I'll say. If it does come true, I intend on asking him. <coughs> Comparisons. Some have said that perhaps Connor went too far by grabbing the belt from him, from uh, grabbing the belt in front of Jose. Yet, when John Jones and DC had their brawl at Media Day, actual physical contact took place. I don't really have a point as such here, Luke. I'm just interested to hear what you have, what you think, and say when comparing these two very dramatic events. It's a great point. You have on the one hand Cormier. I mean, forget about the belt. He just put his hands on. Uh, on his face and pushed him aside. You know, they had this brawl and everyone saw what happened. I will say something different though. Pardon me. When he grabbed the belt, and maybe it's just a distinction that makes no sense. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, by all means tell me. But there was something different about grabbing the belt. Uh, better or worse, I don't know. But in grabbing the belt, and hoisting it while Jose is standing right there. Partly it's just like, you know, it's just, you know, it's insane behavior. There's that. But beyond that, uh, it almost made, like it was a, it was a way to like emasculate uh, Aldo. And that's different than what Cormier did, which was, what in his mind anyway, retaliate. Oh, you put your forehead on mine, no one touches me, shove. Right? That's different. And maybe one's better or worse, I don't know. But to me, I think what people are, are noticing with what Connor's doing is he's trying to emasculate him, Aldo. And so I think that's why it's slightly different. And, you, and I see your point, like, like, what's the difference? Like, he touched his belt, big deal. And then Aldo's point is that that's as close as you're going to get, so you might as well touch it now, um, which I thought was you know, about as decent as a comeback as you're going to get. Um, and certainly touching in the face must be, must be worse. I don't know that it's worse. Maybe it, maybe it might be worse like, because it's so insulting without the physical confrontation, right? Um, grat touching someone's belt like that, you know, without having earned it. It's, 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 it's also like fairly unprecedented, you know, people brawl and stuff, but at least in MMA, I can't recall too many times someone touched someone else's belt. And I just touched it, grabbed it right in front of him, and paraded it. You know, that's that's crazy. All right. <clears throat> Someone's asking a question, and they're trolling. Oh no, I'll skip this one. Um, thoughts on Chuck's piece? Yeah, I did this like two weeks ago. It's amazing. It's like the best piece I've read in a long time. Although I will say, separate long form, and you can get it on facebook.com slash Luke T Sports. It's my Facebook page. Um, Greg Doyle from the India, Indianapolis Star has a piece on ALS affecting his friend and Larry Bird's mother. It's amazing too, so check that out as well. Uh, verbal tap. Thinking of Joe Warren's dramatic verbal tap loss at Friday at Bellator 135, the last verbal tap I can remember was Bendo Pettis, but Bendo said tap, tap, tap. Uh, how many more examples of verbal taps can you think of in reduced memory? Uh, did it um, John Albert do it to Eric Perez? And I'm trying to think. Um, 
Sonnen did it to Babalu, but they didn't stop the fight. Uh, Randleman screamed against Shogun, but they didn't on the toehold, but they didn't stop the fight. Um, oh, um, who did Ronda Rousey armbar that did that? Ronda Rousey armbarred in her Strikeforce Challengers days. She armbarred a, a woman who did that, who screamed. Rousey pointed it out, and they let it go. I can't remember her name, but that, I'm sure it happened to Rousey as well. There's been other cases. The problem is, like, you've seen guys scream, and, like, uh, like Barnett had um, uh, Nogueira screaming in pride, and they didn't stop it, you know? So it's, it's a more of a modern rule, or at least a more modern application of the rule, I should say, to be a little more exact. Um, but there's not many instances that I can think of where it actually happened. But there's plenty of, uh, I mean, you can see the arm bar or the knee bar there. Yeah, uh, I mentioned this before. Someone on Facebook, oh, wait, someone's getting at me on. Um, someone was saying that the knee bar on Warren was deep. It was not actually that deep. Now, let me just make a point here. Someone as credentialed and capable uh, as Marcus Galvan can make a knee bar that's not perfect work. Let me just make that clear, okay? Uh, so there's that. But if you notice, the knee bar looks bad, and the knee is a, but the knee is a little low. Like for a good knee bar, you want that ankle up here, not on your chest. Again, Mir, the the knee bar he finished uh, Lesnar with was not a great knee bar. It just did the trick, okay? Um, and Joe Warren's defense to it was not great either. But uh, the point being is uh, when he screams, is you see Galvan like, like leaning back into it and he can't get the tap. He then like wiggles. And that's when you hear the scream. Because it was only at the very finest edge when he's leaning, 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 leaning and trying to find just that extra room to make it work because it was not actually as deep as it could have been. It would have had to have been a, a, a lot deeper for that to work. Um, without having to, you know, wiggle. Uh, someone's asking about the state of MMA in Japan, but they have a larger question. Is there anything to be learned that the severe drop in interest in activity? I mean, if a once booming MMA scene can go almost completely dark, is it unreasonable to assume a similar fate could happen to the MMA scene in North America? Sure. Now, I think that the powers that be here have a much more stable entity um, but what we're talking about is the Kakatogi boom in uh, Japan, which was also related to pro wrestling too. But because there, the ties are are more uh, well, even here they're, they're fairly the bonds are fairly tight, I suppose, much to my dismay. But um, but yeah, I think what I what I've talked about this before is that uh, combat sports has a history of boom and bust cycles, and that they have this wide appeal that gets hot, boom. And then it has a precipitous drop off. I think what the UFC has done is found a way to um, create the f popularity on more stable ground. The, the UFC gets all kinds of credit for things that I guess it deserves, but like there are all things, there are all kinds of things that I think of that they never get credit for that they should, not least of which is the way in which that everyone's like, well, it's just like WWE. You can use that kind of stuff for a while, but I think if that's your popularity, um, you're going to have more boom and bust cycles. There's something about it being a sport and that uh, being slightly more enduring. 
that I'm not sure you got out of the, the spectacle and the circumstance that you got in Japan. Now, there's a lot of complicated reasons why it died in Japan, but in Brazil, you saw it too in the, in the 20th century, boom and bust cycles all the time. There's never sort of the steady relative thing where there might be periods of decline and growth, but you're talking MMA, like it gets super hot and then goes super cold. Um, I don't think that would happen here anytime soon, but you should always be wary of it. People are always asking me like, why do you care about TV ratings? Why do you care about pay-per-view buys? Because those not only counteract promoter spin or, or validate it, it also helps us understand where the sport is at because this is not a sport that has a deep cultural hundred year long tradition. This is not a sport that they play in high school and then college and then go on to the pros. This is not something like that at all. This is something that is controversial. This is something that is relatively speaking new. This is something that is poorly understood. And this is something that in the wide scope and the history of things um, has had boom and bust cycles. And let's just go ahead and talk about this WWE thing for just one second. Look, I'm not going to sit here and berate pro wrestling any more than I already have. You guys know I don't like it. I never will. I think it's dumb. But no one cares what I think. And there's plenty of people who think that MMA is dumb. It's it's fine. I get it. Okay. And and uh, But there's one argument to be made about the connection between the two. And I want to make this point because I think it's really important. And, and I, you know, it's something that needs to be said. So what is the connection between the two? Well, if you're just looking at modern context, I think that's inappropriate. I'm not saying anyone is or isn't doing that, but if you are, I would encourage you to not do that. Um, the style that Josh Barnett comes from, this catch as cash can thing, this was a, they, they used to have, even, even in you know, parts of England, and there's, still, and there's many different sub-styles of that too, by the way, Lancashire wrestling and all kinds of things like that. Um, there was a history, I think even in the 19th century of this, of these guys having matches uh, between two various strong men or guys who would have these relative skills, county fairs or other events even larger than that, really. I don't wanna, I don't wanna put it down to that level, but you know, just give you an idea of some of the places that may have taken place. And they would have these matches, you know, and um, for the longest time, they were real. In fact, there used to be, you can find old articles, I did this, where uh, they were taking real gambling odds on them. And I know they do gambling odds now for, I think, for pro wrestling, for like, you know, is, I don't know, is someone gonna win this event or something? And, you know, obviously WWE might know, but the average viewer does not. Um, but more than that, like real odds, because what happened was they eventually stopped taking them. So what eventually happened too, was that over time, that style of actual wrestling got fairly boring. And there was always a level of showmanship to it, but the, product began to evolve into they would strip out what was real about it keep in what was quote unquote sort of more spectacular about it acrobatic about it performance based showmanship about it and then add in all these other factors these sort of like binary characters of good and evil and, and bad and 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 so forth um and it became what eventually evolved into what is today's modern pro wrestling it came from this catch as catch can thing other ways too, of course, but it's really sort of the uh, origin of it. Um, and it is true that MMA is in some ways a return to that, but it is also very different. If they're cousins, um, which I think they are, uh, and I'm not doing this to be insulting, I'm just trying to understand the concept here. One is sort of a homo sapien and one is a Neanderthal, right? Uh, which I know no one's gonna like that comparison who's on the pro wrestling side, but what I'm trying to say is the following. 
what, what, what was once something had evolved into what it is today. Those initial actual skills are now relevant again in actual sporting context with a little bit of this stuff bleeding over. But what also happened was MMA has various different stakeholders and owners of what's being involved here. And so when people say, well, this is prize fighting and it's not martial arts, you're wrong. It is prize fighting. You're right there. It is also martial arts. What makes modern MMA very separate from what was the original catch as catch can is not just that there was a more, there's now a more open rule set about strikes and things like that and athletic commissions. All those things are fine. It, it has borrowed from that old tradition. It has borrowed from some of the new tradition, right, of hyping and sort of pro wrestling antics and things like that. But it is also when you have Olympians coming over. Not that the other guys weren't athletes before, but I mean in a modern, quantifiable, understandable context, coming over and evolving a game, which is what Mark Coleman did, which is to a lesser extent not an Olympian, but what Maurice Smith did, which is what Leota Machida did, which is what Anderson Silva did. These were not, so you have this athletic end, and then you also have this martial arts end. All of these different factors come together to make MMA what it is. So what I'm trying to tell you is, it's not wrong to say that, this, that the historical antecedents of MMA are based in what is now evolved, not what was old pro wrestling, but eventually evolved into old pro wrestling. There is some of that. It is also true that some of the ways in which fights are hyped borrows heavily from the pro wrestling playbook. That is also true. But it is also further true that guys like Leota Machida, for example, however smaller in numbers they may be, they have a direct line to it as well. MMA is a combination of prize fighting, a touch of pro wrestling, and martial arts. It's why some guys can't wrap their head around the idea that they have to go and act like a jackass to promote a fight. It's so antithetical to who they are. And everyone's like, oh, they're wrong for doing that. Are they? Is this lifelong martial artist who is trained to do everything that prize fighting is not about uh, wrong for doing that? I mean, you could say whatever you want about well, he should go and maximize his dollars. It's not in him to go and treat people like that. It's not, it's not part of it. And it's not in him to care about that to begin with. So there is this connectivity, but it's not the only connectivity. There are multiple various stakeholders involved here. And maybe pro wrestling is the biggest one, or at least the historical antecedents of pro wrestling are the biggest one. But they are hardly alone. They are hardly alone. There are different humanoids involved here. To, I don't, because everyone's gonna hear the word Neanderthal and think I'm like trying to be insulting. I'm really not. I promise I'm not. I'm just trying to make her understand in an example about the different level, uh, different types of humanoids involved here, um, such as that example works. So, so let's just leave it at that. Like, yes, the connectivity is real, but my tie to it is has nothing to do with it. Leota Machida's tie to the sport, to the very heart and essence of it, has nothing to do with it. Nothing. It is, it is no part of my experience or interest virtually at all. I like a little bit of Conor McGregor's antics, not much. It didn't take me much to get excited for that. You know, a little bit, but okay. Uh, you know, and that goes for all sports. Having a little rivalry and a little bit of instigation goes a long way. But in the end, when you step on the field, when you step on the mat, it is exhilarating to me to figure out 
and understand what's about to happen here. We're talking about a cage fight between two highly trained elite athletes in their prime, at least in the case of Aldo McGregor. I don't need a whole lot of hot sauce to make that taste good. <laughs> I need just a little bit of salt and pepper. Perfect. Flip that steak, medium rare. That's a, that's a medium rare steak if you want to cook it properly, right? All right, uh, let's keep going here. Uh, Fairfax car preparation for Ireland. Luke, yesterday at the press conference, Dana mentioned that the Fairfax car was being used uh, as a test market for Croke Park simply because of the timing and the way to get around the curfew restrictions to do a fight night card versus a pay-per-view. Is it really comparable from a timing and ratings perspective? Well, they can make the hours work, but I don't, I don't know how much – I don't know really how usable it is. Listen, here's why this card is taking place when it is. They have to get these guys fights. They have to do a certain number of cards to keep the divisions moving the way they have to do. It just so happens that on this day, it's not going to work on Saturday to go head-to-head -head with the Final Four. A bad idea. So they can't do that. So they have to make it early in the afternoon. I can tell you they've been running ads on uh, 106.7 The Fan, which is the station I used to be on. It's the local CBS sports affiliate. Um, um, yeah. Uh, um, they're advertising it, but I don't know what ticket sales are like. I haven't heard a lot of buzz, even from guys at my gym. Could be wrong. Maybe, maybe it'll be the ticket sales will be just fine. But they don't put those events on at those times for a very specific reason. It's just hard to do well. Moreover, it's a Fox Sports 1 card. Um, how much will Mendez and Lamas, I mean, I guess if they kill it, you can say, okay, well, then if we, you know, if those two guys can kill it, well, we can put on guys that people really want to pay the money to see and be just fine. But they've put on pay-per-views in the afternoon. They've put on shows in the afternoon. It's not like the story is not well known. Um, and this card has very little relationship to any kind of card Conor McGregor might headline in Ireland. I, I mean, maybe it is in some ways that I'm not understanding, but they've done pay-per-views in the afternoon. The Abu Dhabi pay-per-view was in the afternoon. They've done pay-per-views in the afternoon. They've done fight cards in the afternoon. Um, this, to me, is being done to accommodate the Final Four. I don't know how much new lessons you're going to learn here about the UFC product unless, like I said, those two go out and kill it. But, you know, you had a primetime show in Brazil that just didn't do all that well. So I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing that. Let's go to Twitter. Want to say, yes, I know that Homo sapiens and Neanderthals did not descend from one another, fool. I get that. God damn. Uh, if stand-up is the most appealing part of MMA, why hasn't Thai kickboxing been embraced by the masses the same? Well, because the Thai rules are different. I think in some sense... Um, um, it's a good question. Thai rules are very different than normal kickboxing rules. And I, this is, I think, the, the big misconception about some people who like kickboxing. Like, obviously, I've worked for Glory before. Uh, I will not be going to Dubai, but I wish everyone their luck. I think the Glory product's amazing and kickboxing is amazing. But and I'm not saying this applies to those people at all, but I'm saying I've definitely heard, you know, from other folks like, well, you know, I think Chuck Norris tried it. You know, these are knockouts, not tap outs. Um, and, uh, and uh, I think that's a big misconception. I, people, I think people certainly prefer stand-up, generally speaking, to the ground. Not in, not in totality, but I think there's a general inclination. But they like either really good stand-up 
with an element of danger that MMA brings in terms of that takedown, in terms of what happens when they get on the ground and get in your back take, like what Donald Cerrone does. He strikes, hurts, takes the back, boom, and then something happens. There's a little bit more to it than that. Um, I also think that kickboxing doesn't have a lot of historical roots here as something that's either particularly prevalent or particularly good. Um, so there's that problem as well. Like the best kickboxers are essentially European with some variety, obviously. Um, now that's changing a little bit. Maybe guys like Wayne Barrett or, you know, uh, Joe Schilling can fix all that. But, um, but you know, if you're just looking at the historical roots of success, they don't, it's, America's not a hub of it. And most places want to watch sports where they have a, a relationship to it or someone they know is good at it. And when I say no, I mean, yes, someone they know, no, but also, hey, this American, hey, this guy from California, hey, this guy from Los Angeles, or whatever the case may be. And, and kickboxing at this stage, at least here, doesn't offer a lot of that. But Thai kickboxing is Thai. You got an actual Thai kickboxing match with Thai rules. You know, they do a dance before they get in and they the music is playing throughout and it's very much borrowed from the Thai tradition. This is a cultural import that we have brought and in some ways bastardized or changed um, um, for our purposes. And that's going to, that's not going to be easy to sell. Now let's see. Uh, someone's asking a serious question about WrestleMania, which will entertain those. This is the seventh or eighth year Wrestle, uh, that WWE has packed a stadium for their flagship show. And they're going to go to AT&T Stadium, which is the Dallas Cowboys Stadium, I believe, next year. Zufa has talked a lot about stadium shows, but they never come together, ever. At a certain point, do you say, when do you say that they don't want to do it? Uh, they clearly want to do it. And I went to the one that they did, which was a rousing success, but um, it's tough. They would have done one with Conor McGregor if the time zone made, made sense. If Conor McGregor were Canadian, they would have done it by now. They would have done it by now, right? That's what they would have done. But um, I just think being European and being locked to the pay-per-view, once pay-per-view goes away, I think all this changes. <coughs> once pay-per-view goes away, they can hold a stadium show wherever. It won't matter anymore because they'll have such leeway to do whatever else they want, whether it's on Fight Pass or Big Fox or, you know, whoever. ESPN or whatever happens in the future. But once pay-per-view dies, they'll have ultimate freedom to move around. It's that pay-per-view keeps them locked. That's really the, the, the troubling issue here. Road to Metamora season one, episode one. What do you what did you think of the first? If you haven't seen it, I was not a big fan of it actually. They picked super heavyweights, and uh, I mean I didn't hate it, but they picked super heavyweights and um, they edited the matches, so they were like short, and you saw little pieces of action, but not much. Uh, I'm not sure what the reasoning behind that is. And the winner of that Road to Metamorphs tournament is going to face off against Jeff Monson, which is a match I could not care less about. Jeff Monson is badly injured and beaten up. He's you know not what he once was by any stretch of the imagination. You know, uh, I'm not sure that there was not another compelling matchup they could have made. Maybe there was a way to keep costs down. I I, I don't know.
Do you agree that MMA naturally gives strikers an advantage over grapplers? If the striking gets boring, the referee doesn't stop the fight and restart it on the ground. If grappler finishes on the ground and their guard, the referee doesn't restart the next round in the same position. Yes. This is why this is my point. How do we fix this problem on the ground? Stand them on the feet. Uh, it's part of it's it's an easily it's an easy avenue to access for entertainment purposes. Um, have you ever seen Joe Rogan's fight companion? What are your thoughts on it? I have seen just a little bit of it. I guess the uh, I can't remember now. Oh, the Thatch versus Henderson fight. I saw that one. If you could choose, would you rather be on the podcast or the fight companion? I, I'm not very picky. Um, I was asking if they watch real wrestling, what events to watch. Wait until the, the, the trials for the Olympic team come around. Uh, or U.S. Nationals or World Team Trials, things like that. Those are fun to watch. Let's go to Twitter real quick. I'll take one or two more. McGregor versus Habib, the winner. <laughs> Habib, dog. says self-promotion isn't necessarily about being pro wrestler. I think GSP was a good promoter without falling into that. That's true. But what he also was, was a bit of, even though he was French Canadian, he was a bit of a Canadian icon. There was a bit of a nationalist angle to him. Something like what Cain Velasquez has. That's given a guy the wind at his back. Uh, but if you don't have that nationalism angle to surf on a little bit, it can be a little bit more challenging. Still doable, but it can be a little bit more challenging. You have to have other things going for you um, when you don't have this identity that naturally carries you forward. Obviously, GSP is the greatest ball's weight of all time, but you know what I mean. Um, it, it certainly benefited him that he was coming in as, a as, as the leading beacon representative of something larger and very personal to people. Um, and if you don't have that, it can be very difficult. All right, you can email me at luke.thomas.sbnation.com. You can do all kinds of good stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at SBNLukeThomas. If you have any questions, by all means, email me. Keep them short. Keep them tight. Um, what else? Oh, Facebook.com slash LukeTSports. Don't take too any analogy too seriously. If I said something that pissed you off, just take a full walk and come back next time. I'm not trying to be a dick to anyone. I'm just trying to get a point out and semi-illustrate an idea. If it's not logically perfect, well, of course it's not. How could they be? But I try. Anyway, until next time, thank you for watching. I appreciate it. Spread this around. Stay frosty.